Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Entertainment Now Podcast. My name is Nick. I'm Ian. Uh, like always, if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you give us the old thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel, do all that uh, youtube kind of stuff. Uh, if, you're li- if you're listening to the podcast, make sure you give us a five-star review, because I said so, damn it. If you and, don't uh, give us a five-star review, we will come and hunt you down. <laughs> and and Ian not do will a lick, thing. Ian will lick your feet. That's what he's going to do. Ew. <laughs> i'll lick the doorknob on your house (laughs) oh that's it that that might be dirtier ian Mm, that's true (laughs) you might be safer licking someone's fucking foot (laughs) i don't like feet feet gross me out so last week i know that's why i said that uh so last week we had a topic we did we never got around to talking about it though. We did I not. had a because I had a big old list of stuff we had that I wanted to discuss. I still have most of that big long list. So we're gonna try to rip through some of these and then damn it, we're gonna make it to our topic today. Well, one of the things we're gonna talk about, I've got on the list, actually takes us into the topic. But uh <clears throat> so I do want to say that I haven't watched have you watched Lord of the, the, the original Lord of the Rings series lately, like within the last couple of years? No. I watched, uh, I'm trying to remember, I watched the Hobbit series a couple of years back, but it probably been, it had probably been almost 10 years since I'd watched the full original extended edition of Lord of the Rings. Right. So I watched it just recently. The full 12 plus hour version? Yeah. I, okay. I watched all, I watched all three movies. Uh, I, Granted, I didn't watch them all in one day. No, no. There's no I, way you clearly could. No, no, and I don't have the time to do it in one day. I mean, some of it I was like watching on my lunch at work, like um, but it took me a couple of days, probably at least probably four, maybe five days to finally get through. I, like the first movie I watched all in one night. Right. Okay. And then two towers. And Return of the King, I watched, like, broken up over a couple of days. One thing kind of struck me, like, pretty early in the Fellowship of the Ring. Mm-hmm. Is that the CGI? Not granted, I get it. It was, what, 2000, 2001 when the movie was released? So 2001 two, was that when that came out, yeah. But it was, like, filmed mostly in 2000. So, you know, beginning part of the 2000s. Mm-hmm. I get it. But the CGI is just not good. Like, mm. and I know it was probably, it was like revolutionary at the time, but looking at it or watching it in 2023, some of those scenes, like there's one scene, there's a couple of scenes actually, while they're, uh, I don't know if you remember, even if you remember the, no, I remember the, I remember the movie. movie. I remember the first so, one probably better than the other ones. They're in the Mines of Moria. in the first movie and there are some scenes that look downright horrible really absolutely horrible yeah there's scenes where they're like running and like they They were running (laughs) (laughs) but they're like they're just running through the the mines right yeah and Mm -hmm. they might as well like fucking painted the backdrop i mean it looks that fucking bad Hmm. and it was all green well, screen stuff but if it was practical effects it would have been painting the backgrounds would have been paintings it, it would have been matte paintings and honestly there's a lot of times where you see an older thing an older film or whatever 
where they're using matte paintings and it sometimes looks better than the CGI. Yeah. But there's like, and and that was just, that was like the one that really stuck out to me at Mm -hmm. first in that first movie. But it happened in, in all three movies where there are multiple points in all those movies where I was like, I was thinking to myself, I I wonder if they could like remake these movies to make them look better. Well, like, they could they, they could redo the special effects. <clears throat> it wouldn't yeah, be hard. That, it, I mean, it would be expensive, but it wouldn't be hard to do. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Some of those, like I said, some of those Minds of Moria scenes were almost unwatchable. They look so bad, hmm. and I don't remember it looking that bad. No, it looked great it when we were when it first came out. The, and the may, thing and is, maybe and maybe that's something to you know. This is the first time I watched it on Blu-ray, maybe, and uh, some of the imperfections show better. Maybe, yeah, maybe. So I, I don't know. There's there's a lot of people who complain about modern CGI, so looking bad, and I don't know. I just I think CGI is just one of those things that it's a necessary evil to accomplish the level yeah. of film that we need to do, but it's not perfect. In my, in my opinion, practical effects will always be better, but yeah. it's, but you're limited on what you can do with practical effects. Um, in many cases where they've used a blending of practical and CG tends to work better, but even there's limitations to that. So yeah, you know, it's kind of like if you want these big spectacles, if you want to see a movie that's going to look, be able to accomplish the things that they want to accomplish and things that you wouldn't go see the movie if they didn't try to accomplish. Yeah. You know, then it, it's kind of you kind of have to deal with it because CGA is it's still years away from being as good as what we think it should be or what we thought it would. Oh, would no, be. I've, I've seen a lot of CGI in the last few years that look really really fucking good there's some sometimes it looks great um there's i think there's you know it's not it's not i will say it's not as consistent as it should be right so to to me i think they really just need to utilize it better and try to do practical as you know to the absolute limit that you can and use cgi to fill in the blanks rather than just doing all cgi thing is, is that cgi is cheaper than practical cheaper. effects but it shouldn't be because technically the, the 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 equipment that they have to use for cg is is super expensive and if you look at a budget especially on a big action movie and stuff the cg is a good chunk of the budget and they used to make these fucking movies back in the day for a tenth Nothing. of what they make yeah. movies now yeah. with with full-blown practical effects yeah you know hell I mean, it's a, it's a horror movie and it's a gore fest and gore, gore effects have been, they've been doing gore effects for 50 years or longer. Um, but that the new terrifier movies, the first one was made for like $35,000 yeah. and the gore effects in it are just as good as you'd see in a fucking hundred million dollar movie. Yeah. You know, actually, no, not they're better because a hundred, a hundred million dollar movie. They just use CGI for all the gore effects and that looks terrible. Uh, and even the Star Wars movies, I, I, I'll give credit where it's due, where Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams made good decisions was where they could. They used practical puppets for aliens rather than using CGI like George Lucas did in the prequels. Yeah. You know, don't get me wrong. I even think the, the prequel special effects 
hold up somewhat. They're they're flawed. They're they're not perfect. And it's the same CGs that you're going to see in the Lord of the Rings. But the problem is that George Lucas overused it. Yeah. He made everything CGI instead of using he didn't have any practical effects at all. Um at least in cases where it's like aliens and stuff. That kind of tech that kind of CG is kind of improved. So look at Thanos. Thanos looks fantastic in, in Infinity War and Endgame. And he's yeah. a completely, essentially a completely CGI character. Mm-hmm. You know, motion capture CGI. Yeah. So and, that, and, that, and that's come a long way, though. I'll say that, yeah. uh, you know, Gollum in Lord of the Rings, a lot of the times, I will say in Two Towers, Return of the King, he looked a whole lot better than he did in. Now, great, he was only in a couple of shots. Right. He was, he was yeah. of the ring, and it was like further away shots. But, uh, you know, he didn't, I don't know, he just didn't move correctly, I guess is probably the best way to put it. I don't know. It just, it, it didn't look, yeah. it didn't look good. So it got better. It got better in the, in the series, but. Right. So in an area where the only time I've ever really seen uh, CG be better than practical is when they redid Phantom Menace, some of the special effects for, they did it for the 3D version that came out because they're going to do 3d versions of all all six movies and they only got through the first one yeah but the original and the original film yoda's a puppet but he's a terrible looking puppet nothing like the the one from empire strikes back one from empire strikes back is is a masterpiece of puppetry the one in the phantom menace looks terrible it literally looks like a sock puppet to me yeah so when they did it with the cgi (laughs) it looked I mean, seriously, when they did when they did uh, the the CGI version to match Attack of the Clones and Phantom Menace and for the 3D effects, I think it looks great. I think it still holds up. I think the CG Yoda still holds up because they had to do a CG Yoda, at least for the fight scenes. Yeah. You know, now they have come a long way in puppeteering. Uh, Mandalorian season three, there's scenes where Grogu's flipping around and moving around and it's still the puppet they, they, yeah. they, they, they tried not to use as much cgi as possible they tried to minimize which is good um and you could tell it's a puppet flying around oh, but, it still absolutely. Looks like, but they couldn't have done that in 1999 no or well 2002 when they uh they had to do cgi and i still think that holds up yeah but it's it's really just a matter of balance and hollywood does not understand balance of any kind no absolutely not they stopped <laughs> they stopped caring about balance probably back in the 90s to be completely the, uh, honest with you. So the funny thing is about the Lord of the Rings movies, and it was something I never, I mean, I've watched them dozens of times. Uh, you know, the those are probably some of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. I've watched them a ton over the years, over the last, you know, 22 years. Uh, I never really noticed it until just within the last several days, I saw somebody post, I don't know. I think it was on Instagram. That's mainly where I watch like reels and stuff like that. Someone posted this, like uh, the the fact that there's this theory out there that I'm sure you probably heard it before that Frodo doesn't know who Legolas is. And so the They're whole in thing, scenes together. Do you know how many times Legolas directly talks to Frodo in that series in all three fucking movies? One time. Okay. All he says to Frodo is, you have my bow. That's it. 
Okay. That's all that, he that ever says sense. to him. So at the then end he, of the then series, Frodo knows who he knows who he is. He just doesn't. But, he's not like buddy buddy with him. He just doesn't know who. He just doesn't know what his name is. So uh, at the end of the at the end of Return of the King, you know the everyone likes to joke about the homoerotic scene or whatever. So everyone's in there like jumping on the bed and everything. As people come in the room one by one, Frodo says their name. And then when Legolas walks in the room, Frodo just like gives him a little like weird smile and nods his head. He's the hey, only one that he's the hey only guy. one. That does, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, hey, oh, yeah, the elf guy. Yeah, I know who you are. Hey, guy, I that's met it. you once. I don't know who you are. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> so I thought that was really kind of funny, and, and I never yeah. really noticed it until someone like started talking about it in a video. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, well, I'm sure it's not intended that way. That's mm. sure. It's sure as hell what it looks like. Well, it's, let's be honest. The um, the book, the Fellowship, is much larger than what we see in the movie. Yeah, I don't know how much larger, but it is larger. Um, I've never actually read the books, but me neither. That being said, the the fellowship we get in the film is still quite a big cast. It's still a lot of people. And, you know, yeah, that's the other thing. So yeah, he may only talk to him once. They may only have one scene together, but that first part of the journey with fellowship, they're together. So just because we don't see it on screen doesn't necessarily mean that they didn't like, Hey, I'm Legolas. You're Frodo. Nice to meet you. You know, know, they're not showing us every second of that journey. And they're together. I just thought it was really funny that uh, someone put together because after I saw that 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 reel, I started like looking up other stuff, and someone put it together this like montage, and it said uh, the entire the entire uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy with with the conversations between Frodo and Legolas. So it has like it shows like the intro into the movie, and then it has Legolas's one line, and then it shows the the end credit scene and, and for Return of the King. Right, <laughs> that was great. That's funny. That is yeah. pretty good. Um, yeah, I just love those movies. Um, yeah, I, uh, they're still masterpieces, but you know, you could argue like the original Clash of the Titans is is iconic, but you know, by today's standards, those old. Uh, can't remember that that guy's name. Which one? The guy, uh, yo, the one I know you're talking about. The, that one guy with the yeah. the face and the the eyes. You know that guy. No, the the <laughs> the, the guy who did the special effects. Uh, Harry Harry something Housen. The special effects for Clash of the Titans, the original. Oh, he, he did shit. all like the stop motion uh, animation for movies going all the way back to like the 50s and stuff. But okay. it, Clash of the Titans, which came out in 1980, was his last film. or our, I don't know, um, Munchausen. It, it's one of those weird German Germanic names. But he... Harry, uh, was it, you said his first name was Harry? I think so. Harry Hamlin? No, he no. was in it. But, uh, yeah, he was, I was, was uh, kind of... I was scrolling through it, but I don't see... I don't see his name listed anywhere. We're going we're gonna to do our, our typical uh audio and now video where we just look at our phones for a minute and a half to <laughs> uh, something else. i will say if you watch us on youtube i don't edit shit on youtube uh ray harryhausen yes that's it ray harryhausen okay uh his special effects it's all stop motion but for some reason it still holds up there's a there's yeah. a certain quality to it i mean we know it's claymation stop motion animation but yeah you know it still weirdly holds up it does and that's again that kind of says a lot about practical effects compared to CG. 
that movie came out 40 some years ago. And I can still say that those special effects still kind of hold up. They're obvious, but they still hold up. Whereas yeah. 20 years on, we look at CGI and they're like, you're like, oh, that doesn't look bad, good at all. It, it says a lot about well. it does. Yeah, it, it says a lot. So yeah. I'll always be a proponent for for practical over CG whenever possible and to the absolute yeah. limit that practical can be done. So. Yeah. So we talk about a lot of this is entertainment now. But we don't talk about as much like music related stuff as we do movies, obviously, because we we talk about music enough as it is. But there is some like music stuff going on. Um, the the Green Day 30th anniversary box set was just announced. Well, then when this video or podcast episode comes out, it'll be like about a week oh, about a week after the fact. And uh, I'm surprised that that. There are so many people like shitting on this box set on social media. It's one of the better sets and, that I've seen in terms of deluxe editions. And um, in terms no, granted, of content, I, I think people are kind of down on it because of the price. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's to me, it's not even because I thought it was one fifty. You said it's one seventy five. Even yeah. at one seventy five, I still think it's kind of worth it. It's still a lot of money, but it's, it's a, cheaper than a lot of these other fucking sets that are coming out. Yeah, and it's. I, I mean, I think it is price-wise a lot for a single album box set. Mm-hmm. It's got six LPs in it. You got the the iconic Wood, Woodstock show. Uh, there's another Which live. we already have. Correct. correct. That's that's the only. But it's never been available on CD. This will be the first time it's available that's... on street on CD, and it should be available on streaming also. Well, I'm I'm, I'm going to get it on CD because I am excited to have that on CD. I'm, I I've got the the both box sets already on pre-order. Yeah. So, but you, you get a lot of other stuff with it. You got the, like I said, the Woodstock show. You got another live concert that's included in there. You that's have, two. Isn't it uh, three total live concerts? No, because so you've two? got so there. You got the the regular studio album. Mm-hmm. You got Woodstock. You got another live album. Maybe there's double. Maybe, well, no, maybe the live album is a double album. Maybe maybe that's maybe yeah maybe that's what it is. Then there's a album uh full of demos which some of them have never been released uh, never never released songs right also i think three completely new songs and there's another album of is i think it's outtakes like remixes well there's there yeah, there's the, the outtakes has some songs that, that i'm not familiar with there's the demos and then there's cassette oh, demos too yeah that's what yeah that's what it is the cassette demos are i think have already been released on streaming have they? Okay. Yeah, th- those were released the day that the that it was released, and you know it's seventy five, one hundred seventy five bucks. It's six LPs, I think, but you, it looks like it's going to be a pretty nice box set. I'm really excited for it. Comes with a poster and some other stuff, too, some right? stickers and some other stuff. You know, I'll probably take the stickers and put them on my. I've been decorating my my laptop, so I'll probably put the stickers on there. But um, oh, I will. I, I won't do anything with the stickers. I'll leave them in the package. Well, I, I'll have two of them. Oh, so like uh, the yeah, I forgot the like this Green Day one that came from the Nimrod box set because mm-hmm. I've got the vinyl box set and I've got the CD box set. Gotcha. So I'll just I'll probably just take them out of the CD box set. I don't I mean I don't, I don't really I'm not interested in reselling anything like that anyway. So yeah. right for me it's just about keeping the package complete. Yeah, I'll do that with the vinyl box set, but I won't with the CD box set. But right. so I'm I'm really interested in that. There's some other stuff too that's coming out. 
Uh, you got uh, Hum, which if you're unfamiliar with Hum, obviously you are. But uh, mm. people that are listening to this or watching this, if you're not unfamiliar, if you're unfamiliar with Hum, a great uh, um, a great alternative rock band from the 2000s. I guess they're shoegaze, technically. Whatever the fuck from, that means from, from the 1990s. Yeah, it's just because it's just a wall of sound. Um. It's, it's a wall of distortion, <laughs> basically. And shoegaze comes from the fact that uh, you know when, when you go to the concerts, and not this is not just for Hum. This is for any shoegaze band. Uh, but the term came from, you know, the like I said, you got like this wall of distortion. So guitar players have all these different pedals that they're using. So while they're playing these songs, they're looking down. At the shoes. No, no, no. They're looking down at the pedals to make sure they're pushing the right pedals during during the song. But it looks like they're staring down their shoes. That's where the term shoegaze comes from, at least from mm-hmm. what I've understand of it. So but uh so they're releasing four of their albums. So they got uh You'd Prefer an Astronaut, which is one of my favorite. I think it's probably the most underrated or definitely one of the most underrated nineties albums. Just a great mm-hmm. one. Uh their follow up to that was Downward is Heavenward, so you get a repress of that. Uh, Electra 2000, which came out before you prefer an astronaut, and then uh, Inlet, which came out in 2020, which they hadn't released. They, I think, uh, Downward is Heavenward came out in like 97 or 98, I think, mm-hmm. maybe before that, maybe it was 96, but it was like late part of the 90s. And then the band broke up, and they got back together and recorded Inlet in 2020, and it's fucking fantastic. It's a great album, mm-hmm. but uh, they, they got all four of those coming out on vinyl being reissued. So of course, that's another one I, I've got on pre-order. But there's something else that is coming out that I absolutely love. I love this album. It's one of my favorite punk albums of the 90s. But the price of it is fucking horrible. <laughs> and it's mainly because, I guess I shouldn't say it's mainly because. It's a double album. It's a, a 25th anniversary uh, release of the self-titled debut album from The Living End. Which is a great album. I, it I is love a it. really good album. Yeah. The price on it is atrocious at $60. For a single disc? It's a, I think it's a double. I think it's a double. Okay. It's even worse if it's a single. I don't, I don't, I don't remember off the top of my head if it's a single or double. Regardless, it's $60, which is horrible. But on top of that, you get $30 worth of shipping because. It's only coming from from Australia. I paid $90 for this damn album, which is, I mean, I already have it. So that's why it took me a good couple of days to finally break down and pre-order it. But, uh, you know, it's just as someone who collects records, like having 60 to $90 new releases is just a very horrible precedent to have. There was a, there, uh, who was it? Vinyl Me Please just built a new plant. I think it's out west somewhere here in the U.S. And they did a pressing of, is it no code? That they, no, it wasn't no code. They, they pressed, you know, it maybe it was no code. I don't know. They, they're doing a pressing of one of the, of the late 90s uh, Pearl Jam albums. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be the first time it's ever available as a two-album release, which it should be because the album is too long to fit on a single album. But that's right. what the way that's the way it's always been available. Mm-hmm. But I've refused to buy it because it's sixty dollars. If I ever find it cheaper, I will. But it's a vinyl me please exclusive, so it's never gonna come down in price. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things where like once you have new releases, 
uh, you know, that, that, that high, I think is when you're going to really see the, the end of the vinyl record bubble. Right. Yeah. Because I, I personally think even $45 is too much for a double, but you know, that's yeah. kind of the, the highest I would consider going for. And that's kind of the standard album. price nowadays. Yeah. I still think that's too high. I think 35 should be the standard, but what do I know? Yeah, I think like for a single album, it should be 20, $29.99 for a single, $35.99 for a double. You know, that's, yeah. or, you know, we'll go $37.99. Go yeah. half, you know, meet, meet it halfway, but that's that's it. It shouldn't be more than that. I saw a really interesting interview. I posted in the Vinyl Den Facebook group a couple of weeks back, but it's it was a, uh, a record store down in Texas called uh, NTX Vinyl. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's just a guy that does these. He, he doesn't even have like an actual like brick and mortar store. He he has like pop up stores that he does. He's got like four like pop up stores that he does in like uh like little like strip mall areas. So and because he doesn't have like an actual physical store location, he can't do like RSD or anything like that. So so he interviewed. He also does. He also has a record label where he does like uh, very small like indie bands from the North Texas area. He's done a couple of different presses, but anyway, he's done a couple of releases. But he interviewed a the the record the owner of the record plant that they use for their label, and that guy. And it was a really interesting interview. It's like a it's almost an hour long where they talk about stuff. But the most interesting part of, I thought of of the interview was when they were talking about price increases, mm-hmm. and the owner first off, according to this pressing plant. Pressing plants are not caught up. There should be, he said the the average wait time to get a release now is like 12 to 16 weeks, which is what it was mm-hmm. in before 2020. Right. And so most, pressing, of the, most of the companies are pre-booking much farther in advance anyway, like while the album is still being re- recorded. So, yeah. you know, everything should just be on schedule at this point. Yeah. So that kind of, that aspect is kind of gone. So you, you're not paying Labels aren't paying increased pricing for rush shipments because you're able to get stuff pressed in a reasonable amount of time now. So that price aspect is no longer in play. The other thing is he said that in 2023, he's charging the same prices for pressing records as he did five years ago. And albums are nowhere near at the probable price five years ago. No. Five years ago, a single album was going to cost you about 25, 25, maybe 28 bucks. At the high single album. There are tons of records I bought five years ago that were in the $19.99 to $25. Yeah, there was was a lot. So I got back into buying vinyl in like 2018. There was a lot of stuff I bought that was 17 to 20 bucks. Yeah, exactly. So it's interesting when you see, you know, 200 100 to 200% price increases on records when there hasn't been, like in 2023, I priced it out uh, several months. At the beginning part of the year, I priced it out. Mm-hmm. It was less than $7, less than $7 to press a single album. Right. It was less than $14 to press a double album. So you mean to tell me that Vinyl Me Please, who owns the plant, is pressing a double album for probably for, for the amount of, of pressings that they're doing, 
probably somewhere in the range of, I would say, $11 to $14. Mm-hmm. Let's say that. And they're selling that for 60 fucking dollars plus tax and shipping. You're right. Like that, that's you want to talk about price gouging. There's right. that, that's that, that, there's no inflation there. That is purely profit. Profit that an industry is milking from people and they are going to like they, they will end physical music. They're gonna destroy their 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 yeah, it's like right now it's the only way they're making money. I get that, but they're going to destroy that market and then they're not gonna have any way of making money. Yeah. And and to be fair, there's still a lot of I just I just thought about it. The the um broadsword box set, the vinyl part, is four discs and it's eighty dollars. Twenty dollars a disc makes perfect sense. So there are still, you know, labels, and that's Warner Brothers. That's through Warner Brothers Music, Warner Music. So there are still maybe they just don't think Jeff Rotol's not is not gonna sell, but they're still gonna they're still gonna make money. If they think they could have sold that for 150 bucks, it would be 150 bucks. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Um, no, it's but they're still going to make money on it. Yeah. So why I not will, why not I just will say that there are reasonably reasonable. there are reasonably priced price records. There I do a Tuesday new release video every week where every week I talk about at least, you know, 10 to 14 albums. Right. And I would say generally half of those i would say are reasonably priced and when i say reasonably priced i mean 30 35 30 35 dollars for a single disc though yeah that's to me that's not reasonably priced i i really haven't been buying vinyl i've been buying cds yeah because they're cheaper they are and i yeah and i i've i've definitely bought more cds over the last couple of years but what i what i find myself doing is i'm buying it on vinyl and on cd i just bought the new yeah. post post malone album i bought two copies of it on vinyl and yeah. and i just bought the cd also so for me it's kind of i'm kind of limiting my vinyl buying to just my favorite artists so like yeah. the new alice cooper i'll buy on vinyl the new the the tall sets i'll buy on vinyl but i bought metallica's uh 72 seasons i only bought it on cd Ben Fold's uh, new album, I only bought it on CD. Cat Stevens, only on CD. Yeah. So, and those are artists that I want to have on vinyl. I'm just not willing to spend that kind of money, especially right now. I can't really afford it, but yeah. I just, it's just so hard to spend that kind of money when I, you know, and, and I'm the bread and butter type of person. I would be the type, if I had a little bit more disposable income and the records are more reasonably priced, I'd, I would still be buying the CD and the vinyl. I'd be buying them both. Yeah. So I'm the type of, of market they want to hit. So if they're going to do that, they they really need to figure out something with their pricing. The music industry is really great at one thing, and that's killing, killing their the, business, killing the cash cow. Yeah. Killing the golden goose. Yeah. You know, they do it with CDs. Yeah. You know, the music industry, the, the, you know, they, they saw the digital revolution coming. And instead of trying to embrace it and blend the business, they tried to kill it. And all they ended up doing was they killed their business. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll do this, they'll do the same thing again. Uh, the The price of CDs have, has gone up. Uh, you know, I was buying new CDs uh, just a couple of years ago for ten to twelve dollars. Mm-hmm. 
Now they're uh, closer to seventeen, eighteen. Uh, closer to twenty dollars now for for a new uh, CD. I haven't. I've only spent. Uh, actually, I can't even say. I've you're 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 buying them on Amazon though. I'm buying. Yeah, I'm, right. I'm I'm buying them in in stores. Right. Well, there's you, a couple. You, there's a few I still bought in stores, but I, I want to say the last one I bought in the store was sixteen ninety nine, seventeen bucks. Yeah. yeah, which is the normal. Yeah, that's the normal price now. Which you know, and that's why I said they'll they'll kill vinyl records. They will kill CDs again, also. Yeah, and then they'll complain because they're not making any money on streaming. Yeah, yep, yeah. But uh, so yeah, then there's uh, so are you familiar with? Uh, NPR's tiny desk concerts. Apparently, they've been doing these for a really fucking long time. Uh, I knew they did. They had like in studio stuff. I don't remember it being called that. But so they do. It's yeah. I guess the one of the heads at NPR. I guess they've done like over eight hundred of these concerts. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of it's been like I scrolled through the list a couple of nights ago when I kind of start, started. I guess I should say I, I stumbled across it. I've seen one previously. I know Mac Miller did one, uh, like just before he died. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the first time I've ever listened to Mac Miller. And I was fucking blown away, like mm-hmm. absolutely blown away. Cause it's just, they're literally just sitting at this guy's desk. It's, mm-hmm. it's him. And then a couple of musicians behind him. Mm-hmm. Uh, now Mac, Mac Miller was a rapper mm-hmm. and so of course you can't do the songs in a tra- in his traditional way. It's with an actual band, and the the songs he did, I was like I said, I was blown away by that. I thought they were better. I've really grown in appreciation for Mac Miller since, but uh, you know, unfortunately, I didn't really discover him until after his death. But uh, I was really I was really impressed by that one. But I thought that was just kind of like a one off kind of thing. And then mm-hmm. over the last couple of months, I've seen started seeing more and more of these pop up, and a lot of these tiny desk concerts. I've never heard of these people before. Um, but yeah, it's I saw, usually like indie artists or folk yeah. artists or you know small time like jazz artists. Yeah, there know, was like, it's NPR. I, I guess there's been a lot of controversy over the years that they only focused or they focused too much on indie artists. But uh, over the last couple of years, there had been bigger artists. I know Tori Amos did a. Did one of them, yeah. uh, so you, so they started having bigger artists do these also. So, <clears throat> um, Post Malone's new album Austin came out a couple of weeks ago, and I think so. He's on tour as in he. I think he shot one of these tiny desk or desk tiny concerts, whatever it is. I got it written down here. It's um, yeah, tiny tiny desk concerts is what they're called. If you go on on YouTube, they've got. Like literally, there's over over eight eight hundred of these damn things. Mm-hmm. So he shot one before his album came out, and the his new album is very different than anything he's done before. Is his you know obviously he's known for he's always kind of blended some rock stuff in with his rap and you know with trap beats and things like that. Uh, but his new album is very different. He actually when he recorded this his new album, he wrote most of it in like three days originally it was going to be an all like acoustic guitar album him and a guitar and then uh andrew watt got involved a couple other guys got involved they started uh you know building upon a building up the these songs and what they would end up being so when he did this tiny desk concert he only did like five songs it's not very that's like 18 minutes long right so he's probably like four songs is all he did uh but the songs I think were closer to probably closer to what the original versions 
of those songs were uh, originally. So it, it was it, it was interesting to see because uh, obviously I didn't I didn't listen to the soul just recently. It was after his album came out, so I'd already listened to his album probably you know a couple of dozen times already. But uh, it was different. Is he did a great job with it? I mean, his voice is fucking shot from being on tour. But uh, and even he even kind of talked about it in the in the concert but uh it was, it was just a really great show he also right? he also smokes more than i do <laughs> he does and smoke says, a lot <laughs> and that says a lot right there he does so, uh, i watched an interview with him on uh call her daddy mm-hmm. which is a it started out as a barstool uh podcast it was two girls that did it and it was like all they did was like talk about all sorts of different crazy sex stuff. And then there was a big controversy between the two of them. The one girl left and then the remaining girl left Barstool and uh, went to Spotify and did an exclusive deal through Spotify. And I think, I don't know if they still do the podcast, but I think it's now a, like a video only kind of thing they do on Spotify. But anyway, she interviewed Post Malone within the last couple of weeks. And dude, in an hour long interview, I got had to fucking smoke a pack of cigarettes. He was like, I swear he'd like put one out and maybe just the way they shot it, but I don't know. It was like, he put one out and then he like 30 seconds later, light light up another one. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. He does smoke a lot. I I don't know much about Post Malone, but I know that. (laughs) I mean, that says something too. I also think he's got a little bit of a drinking problem, but. uh, No. Yeah. That's uh, unfortunate that. Yeah. I think a lot of that, at least from the interview I saw, seems to come from a lot of insecurities that he has. Uh, he talked about, he basically has to get drunk just to get up on stage every night, which is, that's a, not good. It's, a, it's, not, it's not good when you admit that, but uh, Post Malone, if you're listening to this, that almost killed Alice Cooper. Yeah. That did kill several of Alice Cooper's peers. Yes. You might want to think of rethink that, you know, yeah. talk, talk to Alice. He'll get you through it. <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, if, if you're watching this and you're unfamiliar with him, Definitely check out his uh, Tiny Desk concerts. I was like I said, I was really impressed with that. Even though his voice was kind of shot in the, at least in the the first song he did, it was a little rough. But after that, it was uh, it was pretty damn good. Mm. Or go go check out the Tiny Desk. Like I said, they they've done a bunch of other people on there too. But uh, yeah, I didn't know that's what I knew. Uh, Tori Amos did little live snippets for uh, NPR before uh, live recordings, but I didn't know that's what it was called. Yeah. So. Yeah, NPR uh, Tiny Desk Concerts. Um, but that's all like the music news, I guess, I got. I will say that I saw something a couple of days ago. This will kind of take us into our topic now that we're, I don't know how, how long we are into this damn episode. Let me see real quick. We are, oh, about 40 minutes in, so we can talk about it real quick. Okay. The fact that Indiana Jones and Mission Impossible are both on pace to lose $100 million. Which is absolutely fucking insane. Now, granted, they're blaming Mission Impossible on the fact that it was released the same day as uh, the Barbie movie and Oppenheimer. The but, buzz around Mission Impossible Seven was huge. I mean, people were talking about this movie like it was like going to be one of the great movies of the year, not just box office, but just it's such. They it were saying it's such a good movie. Yeah. So I don't know what happened with that. It's just when I started hearing it was bombing, I'm like, what? The buzz around this was that it was really good. Yeah. And so, it, the reviews I've seen on it have all said it's a great movie. Right. Uh, a lot the all the people I've seen on social media talking about it say it's a great movie. I think it kind of is an issue. You know, I, I think the problem that that movie is having is the fact that it went up against 
two billion dollar movies basically right. oppenheimer oppenheimer is the highest grossing movie in movie history not to be number one at the box at the box office wow but it was number two right it was, it was number, number two, two to, to barbie yeah yeah which is yeah. insane like everyone was going to see those two movies so i get uh, like i'm surprised i don't think it's gonna lose that kind of money uh you know box office wise i think it's already kind of like it's i mean it's well over its budget box office wise so i mean i think eventually it will but like you said they put a a ton of movies they they put a ton of money in advertising yeah yeah i say there's posted budget and then there's non-posted budget which is bullshit it's hollywood magic and they do that for to screw people out of money is basically what they do hollywood does all sorts of bullshit uh uh, mathematics but uh they need to just if, if the budget is you know 700 million dollars or whatever it is uh say, say that don't say well the budget's you know really only a th- the budget's a third of that and then you got all this back-end stuff that makes it so expensive right. like just say what the budget is for the fucking movie right well i mean their numbers they they show it in their numbers but they just the problem is, is that it's, it doesn't translate when you talk to you know normal people. You yeah. say, "Hey, this movie cost two hundred million dollars to make. It made six hundred in the theater, but it was a flop." Yeah. How is it a flop? It made three times its budget. Well, advertising and back end and all that. Well, like you said, just then just say that or stop spending two hundred fucking million dollars on your goddamn movies. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but you got some movies they're spending as much on advertising as they are on the budgets of the fucking movie, right? Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the funny thing is, I saw about Indiana Jones. A lot of people are blaming what's going on with Indiana Jones with the fact that it went up against Sound of Freedom, and because of the Sound of Freedom, there's been this big Disney backlash, which has been ongoing for some time. Because of the whole, and it's completely artificial. Oh, absolutely artificial, uh, you know. But the backlash started with the whole Black Little Mermaid and things like that. That's where it kind of started, and then the backlash with Sound of Freedom to, you know, that oh, you know, Disney bought it. Disney didn't want you to see it, which we yeah. talked about well, before. There, we were talking there was about a lot of a lot of talk about it being woke too, which I didn't get that impression at all. No, not at all. <clears throat> but Any, anytime woke. you've got a woman in a position of of equal to the male character apparently that's woke yeah so but uh know. yeah it's i thought i thought it was a really good movie i really enjoyed okay. it i thought it was like i is it the best indiana jones movie no, no it's it's the third best out of five it's yeah. the third best yeah you know, and that's, i, I, that's I would put the last crusade number one Raiders of the Lost Ark 2, and then... Dial of Destiny. Dial of Destiny 3. And then Temple of Doom, and then Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly how I would rate them. Uh, and, I, and I mean, I guess you could argue that Raiders and Last Crusade could swap, but that's just a matter of opinion. Yeah. Um, but I think Last Crusade is a better movie. Overall, yeah. Um, yeah. I think Sean Connery has a lot to do with that. Uh, but Well... Indiana Jones is more more actual to the the plot, too. I will say (laughs) the relationship... Oh, yeah, no shit. Uh, I will say Uh, the relationship in the movie between uh, Harrison Ford and Sean Connery is what made 
Oh yeah. Great. Yeah, um, no, that's no argument there. That's um that was that was brilliant casting, really. Yeah. Yeah. With with the with Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones didn't need to be in that movie. No, he's he's superfluous to the to the to the plot. Because they still they still would have followed the ark, opened it up in the desert, and they all would have fucking died. Yep. The only no, difference no. is is that the ark now ends up in the in the hands of the government or whatever, instead of just chilling on that island yeah. for someone else to find. <laughs> yes, and do the exact same thing with right because like, you're gonna go, ooh, a big golden chest. I'm gonna open this up. Oh, right. and now my face is melting off. Right? So, do you think they stop to go? Oh no, my face is melting off. <laughs> oh, maybe I shouldn't open the crate <laughs> as your face drops off. <laughs> I chose poorly <laughs> to quote the last yes, crusade. That's where I was going with it. <laughs> what did you think? So Dial of Destiny is what we were going to talk about. Yeah. The the movie and where the where the franchise goes now. Because we the talked, franchise is dead. Then that's kind of where I was going. We when we we saw it together uh at the at the theater. And then mm-hmm. when we were leaving, we talked about the possibilities, what they could do, we, you know, because there was a possibility of doing a TV show, mm-hmm. all these different avenues that they could go down. And then I lost $100 million. So here's the thing. Before, while, while they were filming Dial of Destiny, all that stuff, Harrison Ford saying, this is my last movie, which it should be because he's, he's he is too old. Yes. Um, this is my last movie. But he said, Indiana Jones dies with me. He does not want to. He did not want to see anyone else doing it. He says, "This is my role. I don't want to see anyone else doing it." Which he Dis- has no control over that, but. right? But Disney was saying, "Okay, Harrison," patting him on the head. And in the background, they're saying, "Well, we might do a TV show. We might do, you know, recasts. That kind of thing." There, there, there was chatter, and it was getting out into the public. Yeah, but they can't make the argument that Indiana Jones has legs without Harrison Ford. When the one with Harrison Ford flopped, yeah, yeah, and so, this is and this is a an instance where Mission Impossible will probably end up making money uh, down, or at down least the line, breaking even on. And, well, yeah, because they filmed part one and part two together. Yeah, so you figure in ma- mixing the budgets or combining the budgets to make it a lower, slightly lower budget. Um, once the second one comes out, they'll make. Most they'll, of they'll that make, will be, be profit. They'll, they'll make so, money. Yeah. So it will make money. Yeah. Uh, Dial of Destiny is not going to make money. It is going to be a big fucking loss. Because, not not really because of the budget, it's because of how they fucking advertise this thing. Yeah. The advertising well, budget for this movie was fucking huge. I think, I think Indy will probably make a small amount of money. You think so? Yeah, because... The people who like Indiana Jones are still going to buy it. They're going to want to come complete their series. They're going to buy. They're going to buy the uh, the physical media. If Disney is smart, which they're not, because they're getting rid of their physical yeah. media in, uh, industry, but if they're smart, they'll release it, and then in a couple years they'll do a big Indiana Jones box set. That's what I want. 4K, and then then they'll make some more money on it that way. It'll end yeah. up over time. It'll make it'll make its money back, and it'll yeah. make a little bit of a profit. So it's not it's not a huge loss. It's a loss for this fiscal year, yeah. for sure. But I don't know if you saw the the details that came out of Bob Iger's uh, quarterly report 
No. Um, most of their losses have been in the streaming industry, streaming side of things. And even that wasn't as bad as they initially thought. Yeah. So Disney is not dying. They're not hurting. They're not selling to Apple. They're not selling Lucasfilm to Apple. Like that's been going around for a long time. Yeah. They'd be idiots to sell it. Um, well, they no, they wouldn't sell it. If anything, they would sell the company, but I don't see that happening. So, they, well, Lucasfilm. So Lucas no, I'm talking Film. about selling Disney. Like Disney will That's never sell. No, no, Disney will never break itself up. But there was talk that they were going to sell off Lucasfilm because it's been oh. a loss for them. Because there's been for at least the last four years, there's been a conversation about whether or not Apple would just flat out buy Disney. And that's been a rumor as of just within the last couple of weeks. Also, uh, right. the first time the first time I heard that was at least four or five years ago. Well, yeah, that's never going to happen. Four or five years ago, Disney was killing it. Yeah, you know, Disney was profit every year, number yeah. huge numbers. The problem with Disney is that so. I'll never argue against diversity in films, never. But it's how you market it, and Disney has not been good at marketing it. No, um, I would say they didn't do anything wrong with Little Mermaid, necessarily, but because that was that backlash is going to come regardless. But they have this tendency, and I and I've talked about it a million times. Show don't tell. Yeah. They want to tell. It's virtue signaling, and that is what really kills a lot of these movies. diversity. Yeah, it's diversity for diversity's sake, is what right. They, and and the if way it comes wanna, off, if exactly because it's because they're signaling their virtue by saying, "Hey, we're we're going we're we're not going to go with the traditional. We're going to get directors and actors of color." And then people hear that and they say, "Oh my God, Disney's yeah. going woke." Instead, if they just fucking did it, just hire the the these directors, hire these yeah. actors. Because nine times out of ten, they're the right choice for the job anyway. Just hire them and don't talk about it. Just fucking do it. You know, 30 years ago, no one cared about who the director of a fucking movie was. No yeah. one could even talk about it unless it was fucking Stanley Kubrick or um, John Ford. No one gave a shit. It wasn't until like Steven Spielberg and Lucas and all that stuff came around that they really started paying attention. And I'd say, I think in the late 90s, early 2000s, it like kicked up about five notches. Right. But even today, I I don't I don't know who directed Little Mermaid. Do you? No. Without looking it up? No. Um to be completely honest, I generally don't give a fuck who directs any movie. Right. There's sometimes it matters. But we were talking, I think it was off camera, uh or off show when we were talking about the Marvels. You said Nia DaCosta's directing the Marvels. The, oh those in the last episode. Oh okay. Um, I I didn't know that. I was excited about the movie. I had no idea who the fuck was directing it. Yeah, and I and I'm one of those people who do care sometimes about who the director is because I think it makes a difference. Yeah, but I didn't know. I didn't know. I, I don't care who's directing a Marvel's movie. I don't care who directs Endgame or Spider Man. I don't fucking care. It would just make it good. I care. That's all. That's all I care about for any movie. But right. I mean, there's other areas where I'll I'll pay more attention to the directors. But big budget movies, Disney movies, I don't fucking care. No. That doesn't mean that they shouldn't be hiring directors of color, getting more diversity. But just shut up about it. Just do it because the racists are going to be racist no matter what. Well, I I think who are you signaling your virtue to? Just people who agree with you. Shut up and just fucking do it. To kind of counter your argument a little bit. 
I think a lot of instances they do just do it. Right. And it's the other side that is the one that makes a big deal about it. Uh, I I think in most cases, like with the, with the Little Mermaid, you're probably right. Um, because that, like I said, that was going to get it, backlash no matter what. But yeah, you know, in other cases, I think it's it's not that that clear cut. I think because it wasn't like it, when the when the Little Mermaid stuff when the first previews came out, it wasn't like Disney going, "Oh, look, it's a black Little Mermaid." It was all the news channels. Right, that well, that's what I'm saying. I, I, Little Mermaid, they didn't really. It wasn't the thing, but and and to be honest, Indiana Jones really wasn't either. It was yeah. after the movie came out. Everyone's like, "Oh, look, they got because no one, no one ever at Disney or Lucasfilm ever said, hey, 'Hey, we've got a new female. We're doing a female Indiana Jones. She's gonna, she's gonna take over for Indiana Jones.' Yeah, no one ever said that. That was that was part. Of, that was one of the plans. That was an idea they were throwing around." Yeah, I mean, I would, I, I would, I wouldn't have liked her to continue on. I wasn't a big fan of the character. Mm. I don't know. Who knows? I, 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 yeah, I think we're I mean, kind of seeing end the up character. Being great, who knows? Well, we were seeing the character in a in a developmental stage. That's you know, true. who knows what she could have been in the next movie? We're seeing this is this was her Temple of Doom. We're seeing the the Indiana Jones of like a fortune and fame. You know, yeah. don't care about any of that other stuff. Whereas the next one would be her redemption of that. I would be okay with it. I don't care. I just want good fucking movies. Yeah. That's all I, I fucking want. I, I think don't where, care shit. I think where the Indiana Jones series went wrong was casting Shia LaBeouf in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Even as like as much as I dislike the end of that movie, mm-hmm. I think had they cast somebody different a better casting choice would have given them the opportunity to spin that role off yeah i agree with that to, well to that continue, was that was kind of a thought back then too for yeah. him and then he went crazy and kind of squashed all that right what they really should have done and this is this is one of those things that it's like it it just probably never crossed anyone's mind but i would have made that character a girl anyway i would have given him a daughter Oh, if really? I was George Lucas, yeah, I would have I would have made the Mutt character a girl back in 2008, and not for any political agenda. I just think it would have made more sense. It just to me, it would have made more sense. I don't know, but I think that was where the series went wrong. I mean, it could have been, but you know, like you also said, your know, Disney was getting backlash regardless, and they had a lot of it didn't even have anything to do with Indiana Jones, yeah. do with Disney. So that being and said. I- I think, I think had, go ahead, go ahead. I was I was gonna say that you had a movie in Sound of Freedom, which did a lot. Sales wise, it was a huge it was a huge movie. Right. And what certain people behind those movies or behind that movie who have been very open about their political views and the way that they view wokeism and and uh, you know, Disney and things like that. They promoted that movie as like the anti Disney movie. And they right. turned well, they, people... they promoted it as Disney was the enemy of that movie. Yes. So they took people that were that saw that movie that probably would have seen Indiana Jones also, 
And because of that movie, they refused to because, right. you know, Disney is the child groomers and the, uh, the sexual predators and things like mm-hmm. that. So I think though, I think that did absolutely play a role in hurting the Indiana Jones movie. It's possible. It is possible. I mean, most of the reviews have been, I'd say Midland to positive. I mean, very few people said it was garbage. The well, people who said it was, it, yeah. The people who said it was garbage are the same people who said it was garbage before it even came out. So, yeah, I will yeah. say that Dial of Destiny definitely has mixed reviews. Yeah, but you know, as far as like people that I know that have seen it, I can't tell you anyone that said it was a horrible movie. No. I've seen, I, I've talked to people that said it wasn't great. But I haven't seen anyone said it was, you know, an absolute disaster. No. Well, like I said, there there's people, but they were saying that before the like I said, before they, they were saying that while the movie is still being filmed. Yeah. Like this movie is gonna <laughs> bomb. They were saying that when the movie was still being written. Like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's it's unfortunate it's, because I, it I, unfortunate. I I I think there was it's definitely it's a movie that definitely could have done more box office wise i would have liked to see them spin off and do even though i wasn't a a fan of them doing it initially i would have liked to see them do some kind of younger indiana jones tv show and to be fair i i agree and i don't have a problem with recasting as long as it's done right um because you know you i i've made my views on the the jj abrams star trek movies very clear but the one thing that he did 100 right was his casting and that was yeah. recasting every fucking character i mean he could have gone wrong once or he could have gone wrong six times but he got it right on all six times if you do yeah. that right you know it doesn't matter people can suspend their disbelief on two separate actors playing the same character if it's done well yeah and sometimes even when it's like the least obvious choice, uh, recasting Dumbledore in the Harry Potter movies, no one cared. It just seamless. And arguably the recasting was better than their original choice, but that's only because he reinterpreted the character. Yeah. But no one, no one complains because the Dumbledore in the first two movies is different than the last five. Yeah. No one says anything about it. Just yeah, whatever. Because it was done. It was done right. You got a good actor in a, in a role. Let's do yeah. that. Doesn't even have to look like Harrison Ford if you do it right. I think it would be hard to recast that role. Yeah. Because it is it such be. a big iconic role. Right. That's why I said I think if they were to do, you know, an Indiana Jones in his twenties, I think it'd be well, it'd have to be in his easier to do. Late twenties. Because they kind of already did his early twenties with the young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Yeah. But still. No, I don't know. Unfortunately, it's yeah. something we'll never see. No, um, well, never say never because it is again. I, it's, it's Disney. It's highly, it's highly unlikely. Yeah. I will say that I was surprised I saw something recently about Disney, uh, and that was uh, the confirmation that uh, Donald Glover is writing the Lando uh, series, the Lando series with his brother. Yep. Who also so I think co-created uh, Atlanta. Yeah, they, which they I did that together. I, I still haven't watched the new season of Atlanta. I love the first two seasons of it, though. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I've, I'm I'm glad to see that that is in motion. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's not because the, the strikes. So no one's writing anything. 
Yeah. But, you know, and of course that was announced a month and a half into the strikes. So who knows how accurate that is even to the, at that standard. But, you know, a lot yeah. of things, I mean, we saw it in 2008 with the writer's strike. There's so many things that were on the books, ready to go, and they died. There were already things that were in production, died. Yeah. Things that were, you know, TV shows that were well-received, died. Yeah. So who knows what hap- what's going to happen. Everything, that's why I don't, I don't all of this news coming out of Hollywood about movies and stuff right now, I'm like, who the hell's coming up with this? Yeah. Nobody's, the actors aren't talking about this. How do you know? Even that Gal Gadot uh, thing about Wonder Woman 3, like, She's not talking. She's not allowed as a yeah. member of the of the union to even talk about future projects. Yeah. She's not allowed. Uh, so where are they getting this information? That doesn't necessarily mean that Donna Glover isn't still no, right no. now. But and it wasn't him. I don't think who announced that it was Disney. It was Disney. But, you yeah. know, but you know, and they don't give a shit. So no, um, I the thing that I think what will what could help the the writer strike, and I don't see it happening is musicians joining the strike. Well, musicians don't have a, a union, do they? No, they don't. But if they were to, in solidarity, stop touring, which it's not going to happen. No. Musicians, even even the popular ones, like a Taylor Swift, I could see her maybe doing it, and that would be beneficial for the strikers, but most of most of those musicians, this could be their last year of touring. You know, it's I, the music industry is way more f- like uncertain than the movie industry. When the yeah. strikes are over, all these big name actors, especially, are going to go back to work. They're going to be fine. Yeah, same but with, here's the thing: the big but, writers. But yeah, the big the big won't. actors, the big writers will. Unfortunately, a lot of the smaller ancillary actors and and and. Yeah electricians and carpenters and all that stuff they won't unfortunately yeah. um you know well they will the 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 because they have their own unions too they're not striking right now yeah um, but you know as far as you're always going to need electricians on set you're always going to need carpenters you're always going to need those those things um but you don't always need you know b movie actor over here to be you know get a chance in a big budget movie it's just never yeah. happened whereas musicians every year is you know if you're on tour this year, you're good. You're going to be fine this year, but you don't know if there's going to be a tour next year. And the reason I bring that up is I think it was Snoop Dogg that canceled shows in California in solidarity with the writer strike. And and see, he's he's a he's a performer who couldn't afford to do that, and he didn't strike his entire tour. He just struck the California side of things. Yeah. So yes, it, that's going to cost him a lot of money, and so it's very respectable. Him to do that but it's it's not going to affect his livelihood in the grand no. scheme the way it would say blink even couldn't probably couldn't afford to do that oh fuck yeah they could could they they're one of the they're yeah, one of the but, big big biggest selling tours of, the, of 2023 so okay, I mean, that so yeah 2023 is fine but which which one of the members had cancer is Ish health issues. Mark Mark Hoppus. Yeah, but, they could come back next year and they could be done touring forever. Oh yeah, but they're yeah. all, but they're all, you know, every single one of them has net worths of you know hundred yeah, million dollars. But they're, but. Yes, and they're probably going to be fine. My point is though, they're still young enough where they they want to make money, they want to work. Yeah. yeah. And musicians, you, I mean, I hope you're not arguing that the music industry is 
just as uh, sustainable as the movie industry. No, absolutely not. But okay. what I, what I'm saying though is you have uh, you know there is a large selection of musicians who also act. Right. Oh, that right. If they're in, if they're in the right. so they have a vested interest. True. In the strike. Yeah, that's fair. I you still know. don't know why they would want to jeopardize uh, their livelihood in a completely different industry. I mean, I understand why they would want to do it. I would, if I could afford it, I would too. But yeah, you know, and, it's and, just there's only a handful of them who can truly afford to do that. Um, I, I think there's there's a lot that can. There's a lot that mm. can, but there's very, 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 very few. Uh, probably only Snoop Dogg, <laughs> who is actually willing to do it. Right, and that's and like it's it's unfortunate because, uh, you know they well, they are did, they're, two, you... they're two they're two very different industries, but they're also industries that do go hand in hand. Somewhat, uh, a lot yeah. of time, but it wasn't you who said that the writers should just write better at the beginning of the strike. <laughs> I was criticizing how shitty writing is in general yeah it's mostly because of the studios though because if the writers are just writing what they're told to write oh i know and we and we had that conversation yeah. but uh you know i there has been uh and, and i also talked about when we told when we had that conversation that it could be the sheer volume of movies that are released nowadays through oh, yeah. theaters and streaming that there has been a very steady, steep decline in quality of writing. Mm, I don't think that. I think it's just it's it's the projects that are being forced out out to us too. That's possible. You know? But anyway, go back to what I was saying though. I I think that uh, I would love to see musicians join in solidarity, and because I think that uh, the mute is the, is, uh, the movie industry is a very powerful industry. The yeah. music industry is also a very powerful industry. Yeah. Um, you know, and, but it and the just more... it, the the music industry is powerful on the studio or the the corporation side of it, though. The musicians, I mean, they don't make money if they're not touring. I mean, really, yeah. unless Snoop Dogg might be the exception. Um, I mean, his album sales because he's. And I'm not. I'm not time. saying. I'm not saying cancel your entire tour. Right. No. Yeah. No. If you could just if you can afford to cancel just the California side of things. And still be able to, you know, make an earning for yourself. Yeah. Sure. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the main people that that hurts are the music fans. True, and the small vendors and the, yeah. you know, yeah. But, but I mean, that's it's really the only way. Sometimes you can. Sometimes well, it's got to be you know short term loss, long term gain. Sometimes, it's always tough when you're dealing with you know mega corporations like. Disney and Warner Brothers and Paramount. Yeah. I mean, they have, really, as much as they could bitch about, oh, we're not making any money, so we can't pay you. They seem to always have enough money to buy off politicians and and you know throw their money around to uh, to affect things the way they want it. You know, yeah. Because really, in the long the long term, like, and we're like running super long over, but uh, in in the long term, like the movie industry. The studios have the capital to wait this thing out. Right. They can wait. They can wait this thing out for years if they have to. They'll, they, they'll, the sad thing survive. is, is if they just use that capital and paid people the right way, no, this they wouldn't would even be an issue. 
but that's the same thing we talked about the music industry, the way that they are so short-sighted and they'll cull off records and CDs. The movie industry is equally as short-sighted. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's corporate thinking. Yeah. You know, take what you can right now and who gives a shit what happens down the road. We'll figure it out then. Yeah, we'll figure it out then. Yeah. But Mm. I don't know. Anything else to add? Support the writers and then actors. Any, uh, any, any questions or comments, you can email us at entnowpod at gmail.com. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, go see the old thumbs up and all that uh, youtube kind of stuff. Uh, mm. I'm sorry, did I cut you off there, Ian? I thought you were done. I was done. Oh, okay. All right. I just said, you... that, that was just my last thing. Support the writers oh, and the okay. actors. All right. Well, until next time. Talk to y'all later. Peace. This shit right here, man, I'm about about it. Only real niggas reside around me. Yo, lady, drop a card around me. Dip like I know you can, bitch. Show me the rust like we in the ring. Got you took over, so you wanna hang. Shoulder to shoulder, the niggas basic. You know I won't lie. You know that I ain't for that fuck shit. You niggas alright, but I'm way better and she love it. Know that y'all sick as fuck. Here go this tissue, bro. We taking the dub. Hoping you get you some. This here like a pick me up. She taking my drugs. Know they see the sign. That's from down the side. Know they sick as fuck. Now they sick as fuck. Tell them get well soon. Tell them get well soon. Now you sick as fuck. Get well soon. Oh shit. Watch out, you the god, Billy. Oh shit. Right now, and I'm smiling in your face, bitch. With a ghost smile, you should probably make placement to your eye. Niggas sick as fuck. Standing with niggas. Who died for that party? Who died for some bitches who showing their bodies? Swear to God, nigga, this Molly got me up and rolling. These bodies of water. Bring that shit in bottles. Shit the party that hit when we style it.